0: And welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about the perils of abstinence-only education so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Miss Me With That by Rachel Lindsay. Joining us to discuss this memoir from the first Black Bachelorette is Rebecca Kim Wells, Bachelor franchise aficionado and author of books full of magic and fury and often dragons. Hello hello thanks for returning to us rebecca
1: thanks for having me i am so excited to be back to discuss the second bachelor memoir i've read with you guys and this one is much superior
2: (laughs) much better yes um rebecca previously joined us to talk about colton underwood's memoir and for starters if you recall colton underwood had a restraining order put against him like the day before we started recording and we were like uh well this wasn't in the book but i feel like we need to address it and
1: that has not happened with rachel Lindsay, and i i would not expect it to no definitely not for being you know a, a black attorney and the daughter of a judge yes and uh and a very reasonable seeming
0: human being yes 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 um, I saw Renata yesterday and I was telling her that I, I mean, I know nothing about the match every time we do a bachelor adjacent book aside from uh, what I, what I've learned from reading bachelor adjacent books on this uh, <laughs> podcast. So I was not familiar with Rachel Lindsay aside from this like knowledge that I kind of had in the back of my head and then was reiterated um, by Rebecca in the email when she uh, suggested this book Basically, you know, she's the first black bachelorette. No other knowledge about her. Uh, started reading this from like the outlook of, well, well, it's another bachelor memoir. And uh, when I had breakfast with Renata yesterday, I was like, uh, yeah, like actually, it turns out this book is fine. <laughs> you know, like it, it's not, it's it's not what I was expecting based on our previous bachelor memoir reading. Uh, I was impressed with it. And I'm not, you know, clearly reading Matthew McConaughey's book did something to me and Renata's brains and we were ready to join his cult. I don't necessarily think I'm ready to join Rachel Lindsay's cult. But if she did have a cult, like, I'd be supportive of her. I I do think the problem is that her
2: cult would probably be like Southern Baptist adjacent versus Matthew McConaughey's, which I think even though he is also Christian, I do feel like his cult would be like non-denominational, just keep living
0: yeah yeah
2: yeah also so uh yeah i agree with kate i don't know very much about the bachelor i don't watch it but i do consume a lot of like pulp pop culture podcasts and so just from those i had a i had a pre-existing slightly positive view on rachel Lindsay, just because whenever her name tended to come up it would be like you know, Rachel Lindsay issues a statement about racism on The Bachelor and they would read it and be like, I I didn't watch that, but that sounds reasonable. Like she sounds correct. And I read the book and I was like, yeah, she's, she sounds correct for like 200 pages.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, aside from her uh, making history as the first black bachelorette, uh, you know, she's just a generally impressive and intelligent person. I've thought that, you know, ever since seeing her on as a contestant on The Bachelor, and then while she was The Bachelorette, being the lead of a franchise like this is really difficult to do. And if you want to maintain like some sort of control over your image, and I thought she pulled it off quite well, actually.
2: Yeah. And before we get too deep in, I want to just make it clear that from all of us, I, I know this from other people and Rachel Lindsay like directly mentions it in her book that it is like, you know, a microaggression to be like, oh, you're, you're so articulate or you're so much more well-spoken than I thought you'd be like for a black person. And I just want to be so clear that I'm like, oh, I you're so smart for a Bachelor contestant is, like, what I'm thinking. Like, <laughs> yes. I am yes. racist against <laughs> people in The Bachelor. 1,000%.
0: <laughs> yeah. and- like, 1,000%. Yes. <laughs> no, it was not surprised that this book was so good because she was Black. It was 1,000% because we've read other Bachelor-adjacent memoirs and they have not been well-written. Uh, oh. So this was a pleasant surprise.
1: Yeah, although it does make me feel just a tiny bit bad because there's not nearly as much to make fun
0: of here. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Very true.
1: Yeah, I don't know
2: how funny of an episode it's going to end up being, but we'll do our best. Uh, I, I, You know, here's what we can talk about is... I, okay, actually, are there any content warnings? Content warning for the existence of racism...
0: Yeah, I think that's I think that's mostly it. Yeah, for some like
2: messy relationships, but not really abusive. Uh, yeah, just you know, content warning for reality television.
1: Yeah, and the existence of racists. Yeah. Yes. yes.
2: So before we okay, the first maybe third of this book goes into rachel's like childhood growing up in texas and it was it was somewhat interesting to me but again it's like i don't really know that much about this person like i think if you were like oh i'm such a fan of rachel i want to know what her childhood is like you'd be like maybe cool but um i think we can maybe move past this part of the book pretty quickly and get into like the juicy bachelor stuff and then like the juicy racism stuff.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) uh, I
0: think, I mean, I think the one thing that I do want to say, I think it was interesting because yeah, it starts when she is a child and it, her sort of like loose framing device that she uses like three times in the book. So I don't know how much it can be consistent or called the framing device is laying out like what her life plan was at various stages of her life. And, you know, it, it starts with her talking about her childhood, like through college and her relationships. And one of the things that I thought was very interesting to hear her speak very candidly about was kind of the respectability politics of being her her father um was a judge and was appointed a federal judge. He's a lawyer and then he became a judge and was appointed as a federal judge. And And he was like the first black federal judge in in the state of texas maybe something like that yeah it was like a big deal he was the first i think he was the first black person to be hired for like the like state's attorney's office and then became the first black person to be state attorney and then was promoted. like he was breaking barriers left and right and she you know because of of that they she and her sisters her two sisters went to uh, you know, a very hoity-toity private school and we're involved in a lot of like hoity-toity social circles and her school was mostly white. And she talked a lot about like the struggling with her blackness in different, like trying to figure out how she was quote unquote supposed to be black in different situations. Mm-hmm. And she talked really candidly about like how she always tried to act like, more white around her white friends. But then she stopped doing that and started just being herself. But being herself was like too black for her white friends, but too white for her black friends. And Mm -hmm. like was really struggling with like finding a place that she could be herself without feeling like she wasn't black enough to like learn more about her culture or like she was too black to fit in at her school. And she, you know, she talked really openly about it and really delved into it. And I thought that it was very interesting and very sad and, you know, very happy for her that she had like a great supportive family and eventually found like a group of friends who were supportive and seems to have made a good life for herself. But like, you know, it, it is I I thought that it was just very interesting of her the way that she wrote about her childhood and uh yeah i just wanted to point that out i guess
1: i really like you know you sort of pick up this book because of the bachelor and she doesn't even really get to the bachelor until maybe a little bit over halfway through the book the bulk of the book is sort of about her life uh coming to the bachelor Mm -hmm. and You know, when I picked it up, I wasn't totally sure, you know, and I started reading, I wasn't totally sure how interesting it was going to be. You know, for all the reasons you mentioned, Kate, I actually found it fascinating, because she is so candid about, you know, Mm -hmm. how she grew up and how the circles that she moved between and within. And I actually think that she framed her story really well, because she sort of has has talked about the bachelor yeah she drops some juicy pieces of gossip because that's what you do in these books but she sort mm-hmm. of talks of uh, about it as something that she was only ready for after going through you know her whole life to that point and learning the lessons of self-confidence and self-actualization and being uh, comfortable with herself and confident in herself yes
2: i i want to quote a quote that's actually from the end of the book but i think it applies to all of the book so, spoiler, later in her life, a post, post-Bachelor, she has a podcast, so that's why she refers to podcasts. But I'm, uh, this is the quote. I'm aware that the majority of listeners to my podcast, parentheses, or readers of my book, are not other Black people, and so I take the podcast as opportunities to speak about racial justice. Since I just might be the only Black person these listeners follow, I take these platforms as a responsibility to speak out. I understand the frustration that many Black people have with the pressure of educating non-Black people about racial issues. We all do what we can, and the way I see it, this is something I can do. I don't have to play this role. I get to. If my audience is looking for me to be a voice when it comes to these matters, then I want to provide it. So I do feel like, you know, and of course not to make huge generalizations about the people who watch The Bachelor because it's a super popular show, and I know a lot of, like, you know, smart and feminist and anti-racist people watch it. But perhaps there are several many people who might pick up this book and they maybe wouldn't pick up, you know, white fragility or stamps or whatever, but they might pick up this. And so this book definitely might introduce some readers to like respectability politics and code switching and those kinds of concepts that they maybe wouldn't have picked up a book that was sort of more, Explicitly, explicitly about racial, Rachel's racial justice book. Tough to say.
0: That was. I was actually. I was about to say basically the same thing, but probably less smart sounding. That she really does use this book as like, because the the bachelor stuff is a not a large chunk of the book. (laughs) Yeah, and I, I, it definitely seems. Like she uses this book to teach a little bit of a lesson about, you know, racial justice and just the reality of being black in America, or at least black in America in the way that she was black in America, and use that, introduce those concepts to an audience that might otherwise not like sit down for a little lecture. And I don't mean lecture in a condescending way, I mean lecture like when you're me and you go to like Atlas Obscura lectures for fun. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm sort of curious about the timing of this book, because, you know, she's from a couple seasons ago, right? I think her bachelor season was like 2016, and then her bachelorette season was 2017. And Mm -hmm. usually what you see, you know, in the last couple of years is people who are going to write books after being in the franchise, they do it like the following season it's very tied into the whole media brigade and i'm very curious to know if the reason that this book is later uh is that she wanted to wait until she wasn't like tied down with ndas or whatever contract they make you sign so that they didn't have so much control over what she could say
2: I also – and Rebecca, maybe you can speak more to this, although maybe not because I know you mentioned you watch The Bachelor but don't necessarily follow Bachelor Nation. Yeah. I remember hearing on my podcast that there was sort of, like, a to-do when Rachel specifically came out and said, like, I'm, like, done with Bachelor Nation at large because if you don't know – and I only barely know, but, like, there's this whole – bachelor family of products where it's like you go on the bachelor and then maybe you become the bachelorette but then there's bachelor in paradise but then there's all these other things where like if you've been on the show you can sort of and if you've been on the show and the audience likes you it seems like you can sort of have indefinite employment and then you can like be a commentator about the bachelor or like go to like different reunions it seems like if you have been on it once you can kind of be plugged into this like network forever basically and rachel was like She's like, miss me with that. I'm done with you. And she sort of like formally broke up with like Bachelor, capital B.
1: Yeah. Yeah. um I'm not, yes, that's basically how it works. And a lot of things, you know, the, I do follow a podcast run by Charlene Joint, who was a, a former contestant on The Bachelor. And I know they get episodes early and I don't know exactly what the deal is there, but it is like a very, you know, They probably have to sign paperwork about, you know, what you can or can't say. And she certainly, Rachel, has certainly had employment opportunities that are connected to the franchise. Um, And definitely, when you're a lead, you do have to sign paperwork for like a certain amount of time that, you know, you go through their PR or there are limits on what you can or can't say about the franchise. Um, I don't know the specifics, but I think overall, it's a good call. It's not great when you have powerful corporations controlling what you can and can't say. And uh, I, you know, if Rachel is is done with the Bachelor machine, then I am happy for her.
0: (laughs) Yeah, she she says, too, at the end that, like, part of the. Reason she thinks that she was very appealing to them as a participant, and again, like I don't actually watch the show, so I don't know how true this is is that she being she was unfamiliar with The Bachelor before she went on the show, she like auditioned kind of as a whim because some of her co-workers her, her coworkers
2: made her go yeah
0: yeah so she went with her co-workers and you know ended up seeing it through to the end and because she was very kind of like nonchalant about it like she was waiting on a really long line and she was there on her lunch break so she like went up to a producer and was like can I just hear this paperwork in? like I have to get back to work like I'm on my lunch break and the producer was charmed enough by her that they were like I'm gonna get you to the front of the line and similar things happened to her throughout the process Because she wasn't as crazy. And and her her view of it in the text seems to be that because she wasn't like crazy laser focused on like, I love The Bachelor and I'm going to be a part of The Bachelor Nation and I'm like auditioning for The Bachelor, I was just kind of like, eh. She, it was a different viewpoint for them and they like appreciated that. And one of the things that she said was that like a lot of times people don't have jobs. Like it'll say what their job is when they go on the show. But like a lot of people are either like self-employed or like they have to quit their job to do the bachelor or, you know, whatever. And then frequently after they get off the bachelor, people have trouble finding work In their field, because now they've been on The Bachelor and they're like, Bachelor famous, Mm -hmm. and that she felt very lucky that she a like did not have to give up her job to be on The Bachelor because her boss at the law firm she was working at was a fan of The Bachelor, Uh and b that like she was able to kind of like pick up her life again after she was on The Bachelorette, Um, and she did eventually like leave working in law, but like. After she was done, she went back to it, which is all to say, this is my long-winded commentary on saying that I feel, too, that, like, a lot of people who, it seems like a lot of people who go on it are counting on that Bachelor Nation bump, that, like, I don't have anything else. I quit my job to do this. I don't have anything else back as a backup. Like, this is going to be my personality now. I am a Bachelor contestant, and I am making the rest of my life about it for as long as I can ride that money train, which, like... Capitalism's gonna capitalism <laughs> so yeah. I guess like go it's, and- it's tough.
1: I mean, there's a lot of complicated stuff all wrapped in that, <laughs> yeah, definitely the the casting at least the way that she describes it in the book, the people who are in charge of casting were definitely interested in her because she was a person who had a job and she was not you know, a person who was on the show because she wanted to be on the show. And she also says, you know, parts that they had her pegged as the first black bachelorette from a very early on. It was very interesting to me because they really do try to control as much of the process as possible. The producers of the show that even before she was cast on the bachelor, they were already thinking of her for bachelorette. And also it's kind of, you know, has a weird racial undercurrent there because Mm -hmm. she's talking about, you know, the reason that they were serious about casting me as the Bachelorette is because I was the quote unquote right kind of black person, very upstanding, upper middle class, has a good career, well-spoken, intelligent, um yeah so that they were you know interested in casting a black person as the lead but only the right kind
2: yeah and by the way also just from like looking at photos of her even like she's also a total smoke show and that that's important as well <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: that's yes. very true
2: I I know I started off saying like I don't really want to talk about the childhood part but there's a couple things I want to talk about from her childhood actually or not even her childhood like her pre-bachelor life because she does have a chapter in this book that's called I Want My Reality TV and it does talk about how like especially when she was in law school she really loved watching reality television but never The Bachelor because she liked to watch shows that had black people in them and The Bachelor never had any. She also talks about like flavor of love which was sort of like jokingly billed as the first black bachelor because if you don't recall like the premise of flavor of love was basically like a bachelor like dating show except for instead of a random like white accountant it was flavor flave and she said about that here's a quote i pulled Again, she's very smart. She is a very smart woman and a lawyer. And she said, just as Flavor Flav had revived the Sambo character, a Black caricature that has been entertaining white audiences for decades with his little jigs and silly phrases, New York's, and that's Tiffany Pollard, a.k.a. New York, not the city itself. New York's histrionics played into so many negative stereotypes about Black women. Uh, Like, she's someone who's a fan of reality television. She's thought about it. Like, she knows how she could be taken if she were to go on the show like she's really smart yeah
1: yeah and and she also she circles back to that later in the book because here she's talking about how you know she was disappointed by the way some of these black women come across on the show and later she circles back i don't remember exactly where but after she has her own tv experience to talking about how you know actually if you it's very difficult to be a black person on television especially a black woman and you sort of have to do what you have to do to survive to a certain extent
2: yeah and like keeping in mind that the producers are always trying to get the best like you know television worthy response out of you and yeah they're keeping everybody drunk all the time like And and that is something that's come up in other bachelor books and other reality TV books. Like, I I mean, that's just something everybody says is like the producers are like trying to get you drunk and messy for their benefit.
1: Yes, absolutely. And also in this sense, I actually kind of feel like the fact that she was used to having to code switch actually was to her benefit when she Mm -hmm. went into this experience because she knew that the producers and the show were not her friends and yes. she knew to be on guard in front of them in the way that uh, many other contestants and leads did not to their uh, detriment. Yes.
0: Yeah. She, um it, it's, and of course, like, obviously this is her telling her story from her perspective that she, in a way that she wants us to hear it. But it it is interesting, too, the way that she talks throughout the book. Like, she'll call out these instances where, like, very clearly the producers were trying to push her into, like, doing a certain thing or acting a certain way. And she, like, would stop them and say, like, no, like, I'm sorry, but I'm not... Like, that's, we're not going to do that. Like, we're not playing, like, I'm not that person. I'm not going to get into a fight with this woman. I'm not going to, like, pretend to like this guy because you think he's better for the ratings. And that there were times that, like, they kind of let it slide. And there were times that they were like, no, you will go on a date with this boring man and pretend to like him. And- mm-hmm you know and she and that one in particular thing she was like yeah so we went on a date and we wasted a whole day when it was clear we did not like each other and at the end of the day they were like oh i guess you were right
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean at least that wasn't lee because ugh, that was gross yeah
2: yeah i want to pull two more quotes from the pre-bachelor section and then maybe we can move
0: on to bachelor i have a couple more thoughts about pre-bachelor but pull your quotes (laughs) sorry
2: well, I just wanted to talk about how throughout this, Rachel keeps making like very worst bestsellers appropriate re- um, uh, references. Like, multiple times, Kate mentioned that she keeps putting her life plans and her ideal man. And she talks about her love language in that. And so at age 18, she says, for love language, he must be fluent in both physical touch and quality time because I'm bilingual in the five love languages um and then she's also talking about like how important it is to her to have like men who are friends but not boyfriends and she says if you believe men are from mars and women are from venus then recruit a few translators
0: (laughs) yeah she also so in the lead up to talking about the bachelor you know she talks about going to college and going after college going to law school and of course her romantic history throughout and you know from like dating the bad boy in high school when she was rebelling who she broke up with because uh he wanted to have sex and she didn't and like the guys that she dated in college and the guys that she dated in law school and her ex who she was with for five years prior to going on the like they broke up Sort of, it was like a a vague kind of breakup, but uh, they ended up breaking up for good not long before she auditioned for The Bachelor. And it really is just a very, she's very like... I keep saying the word candid and it's a memoir. So of course she's candid. That's the whole point of writing a memoir is to talk candidly about your life. But she talks, you know, about these relationships she had with these men, the good and the bad and how, you know, she found herself repeating these patterns of, you know, trying to to find this like perfect person who checked all of the boxes she wanted without really like thinking about, without seeing their red flags of the way they were acting and, you know, really realizing like what she was going to be subjecting herself to, to the rest of her, the rest of her life if she were to marry these men. And one of the, the guys who she was with for a while and, uh, you know, really thought she was going to marry one day. And he not long after they started dating, like he kind of had this huge messy drunken breakdown and ended up going into recovery and you know, to get sober and going into therapy and like really working on himself. And she felt like he was working on his career, but, and their relationship was not his priority. So she wanted, she thought she could show him that their relationship should be her, his priority by being like, I'm working on myself too. I'm going to therapy too. Even though she didn't necessarily think she needed therapy until she got to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) and that was like oh holy shit like I needed this so badly like I am so glad that like trying to impress a man Made me yeah. go therapy because it turns out therapy is great and I recommend it for everyone. And yeah. something that I thought was interesting was that there is a therapist, a psychiatrist on set at The Bachelor and The Bachelorette who theoretically is only there for people to get medication dispensed, which A, I would love to have someone whose job it was to remind me to take my medication every day because I am very bad at it. Or like if someone had like medically ordered psychiatric visits that this onset like psych- uh, psychiatrist could offer them and she was just like no like I am in therapy and I would like to continue therapy while I am here so even though like I don't have like a medical need for this like I am allowing I like I would like to see her as a therapist and then when she was the bachelorette she was like I think she should be open and anyone who wants to talk to her during filming should get a chance to like have a therapy session with this woman, regardless of whether or not like they're medically required,
1: which I just thought
0: was cool. I'm pro. I mean, obviously we're all pro therapy on this podcast. I'm obviously pro therapy in my day job. So I was just like, yeah, tell them therapy's good. Hell yeah. uh,
2: One of the reasons why she needs therapy is that, as we alluded to in the opening, like because she grew up pretty religious and it was this abstinence-only education, she did. I get some kind of like fucked-up attitudes about sexuality that she unpacks throughout the book, which is great. But one of the things that she mentions that's like a little funny and a little sad is that her mom like silently put up a huge poster in her room that just in the at the top of it in big letters said abstinence. And then she refers to having fine print on it as well. But she says, like, I didn't even, like, read past it. I just saw abstinence and I knew what my mom meant. And to me, because she doesn't say what else is on it, I envisioned this as, like, the Ted Lasso Believe poster. But it just says abstinence and it's a bummer instead of being funny and uplifting like Ted Lasso.
0: Yeah. It is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is very funny and she (laughs) even what makes it worse though is that she says that's the only quote unquote sex talk that she got from her parents that
0: was it
2: yeah
1: yeah Uh.
0: yeah she talks to about like it it was another like she she uses this book to do so many good things and you know one of them is she she does talk like very frankly about like her desire to demystify virginity and sex especially for people who were raised religious or have this abstinence only education because she felt like her first time was this huge letdown it was with a boyfriend of hers who she had already broken up with and was like visiting and one thing led to another and they just had sex and because she had built sex up to this huge thing that she was waiting until marriage for in her head like she was so disappointed with herself but like realizes now that like if she had been more educated, she maybe would have made different choices around sex sooner that wouldn't necessarily have been waiting for marriage, but would have, you know, been healthier than like the guilt and shame she felt afterwards and the confusion. And, you know, yeah, like that's, I'm, I am all about that.
1: Oh, 100%. I think she also talks in that chapter about, you know, after she lost her virginity that because of those unhealthy feelings about it, that she basically was like, whatever, I guess it doesn't matter anymore. And maybe started making some bad sexual decisions that were not the greatest for her. Yeah. And again, you know, as you're saying, I think she does come out and say pretty explicitly, you know, if I had been better educated about this, You know, she's not saying, oh, I would have gone out and had all the sex way earlier. Um, I think she's saying that, you know, I would have been able to make healthier and better choices for myself and my relationships.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay, are we ready now to move on to bachelor phase? Okay. Because what I was thinking for Bachelor Phase was we could maybe turn the reins over to Rebecca a little bit more because she did watch the season. And I wonder, Rebecca, if there's things that you, as someone who watched it, were like, uh, yes, like this iconic moment that she talked about or like maybe something that you wish you would have talked about. I don't know. What were your thoughts about this part of the book?
1: Oh, man. I mean, it's been a while, but you know, she talks about her challenges being, well, first being a contestant on The Bachelor. And it was nice to hear her talk about, you know, the way that the women in the house or the contestants spend so much more time with each other than they do with the lead. So um, really, you may or may not go to the to the show and come away with a fiance who you may or may not break up with later. But what you will do is spend a lot of time with you know these other women or these other men, and I thought it was really nice that she talked explicitly about that and about some of the friends she made while she was there. I actually thought Nick was a pretty good bachelor, um, and Rachel is correct; it was pretty clear that he was going to pick Vanessa the whole time. (laughs) But it was nice, you know. I I thought he was fairly you know, he comported himself pretty well and he treated uh, the women pretty well overall. So, you know, not much to say there, in my opinion. Um, Rachel's season as the bachelorette was infuriating in some respects because, you know, she actually, in my opinion, does not go hard enough on the show for what they did to her when they cast Lee. Lee was a freaking disgusting racist from the beginning. You could tell, just like she says in this, in the book, like you can just tell that this is a black guy who doesn't date black women. You can just tell that Lee was a white dude who is just a freaking racist. And it was very clear that the show cast him for the drama and did not care about the harm that they were doing by having this guy among you know, a number of other fairly high-profile Black contestants and Rachel, and they made her keep him because of the drama when what he was doing was being a real disgusting racist. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah,
2: like, it wasn't surprising I mean, I, I didn't watch the show, so I didn't know who this guy was. It wasn't surprising to me to hear that they would force her to keep around a contestant for the drama, but it still sucks, and to, like, because I think maybe what surprised me a little, or like, at least I wouldn't have necessarily thought about it in this way is like, she seems to feel worse about the fact that like, she knows that the black men in the house have to be with him all the time because like she knows that Lee sucks and he's around, but she doesn't have to interact him with that much, but she understands that it's doing harm to those men to have to live with, with Lee. And that on some level, she maybe is feels responsible for that, even though the producers won't let her make him leave.
1: Yeah. And of course, you know, she's the face of it. So she's the Mm. one who's going to get blamed by the public. Um, Why didn't you send him home? La, 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 la. Yeah. It's just upsetting. And, you know, we shouldn't be surprised, I guess, because the show is not particularly responsible with its treatment of people generally. So why would, you know they make any better choices when it comes to protecting uh you know people of color and black people but still it's really upsetting considering that they were like oh groundbreaking we're so excited first black bachelorette and then this is what they do for the the dramas
0: yeah yeah it's just and i mean like i i guess part of me is interested to see if the same thing would happen now like five years later after, I mean, I don't, I don't know why I think that the world's that the most, the latest round of wake up calls (laughs) about the fact that racism is entrenched in every level of this country and needs to be addressed would change the hearts and minds of the bachelor producers any more than the last, you know, five rounds that existed before this season aired in 2017 or 2018 or whenever it was. But, you know, I am I am curious if they would make those same choices now that it seems to be slightly more socially unacceptable to be racist. (laughs) Oh, God. I think America's great. Maybe they're getting a little
1: better. I don't know. I mean, they're either way. They're not great. But we have had since then we've had another a second black bachelorette. We've had a first black bachelor. Of course, the woman he ended up with, uh, you know, has her own own, like racist drama around her because she went to like these plantation parties and liked Confederate flag posts and that sort of thing. So that's a whole nother story. But I think there have been more black contestants who have gotten pretty, pretty good airtime pretty positive airtime especially on bachelor in paradise i think it was last year or maybe the year before um a couple made history as the first uh black couple to get engaged there oh, um, good for which them. has never happened on the show uh, all Oof. of the other black leads have been engaged uh to n- non-black people which is not, you know, it's, it's no... I'm not saying that they should have gotten engaged to Black people. That's not, not it at all. But just let, that it had never happened before. Anyway, so we'll see. Some progress, minuscule as it is. Yeah.
2: How about, Rebecca, here's another quote I pulled. And for fans who are wondering, yes, they made me keep that contestant whose annoying catchphrase I refuse to repeat. Could you repeat the catchphrase?
1: because <laughs> uh, So I had to Google this myself because I didn't totally remember. But this was Lucas Yancey, and his catchphrase was "Waboom." Wow. Well, uh,
2: could you yeah. use "Waboom" in a sentence or a phrase? Like how? How? Like would he just be like, uh,
1: "I cannot." <laughs> <laughs> I, would it be I sort of remember. like punctuation,
2: like? oh uh, i'm eating eggs for breakfast waboom like is that kind of it honestly i don't remember i
1: your guess is (laughs) as good as
2: mine i just clicked the link that you sent me and the subhead is "Bachelor cast off lucas Yancey admits saying waboom during sex
0: okay oh wow okay that's already more information than i needed on this man
1: yeah, I mean, this guy also was clearly in it for the the clout, the influencer stuff.
0: Yeah, and that yeah. was, like, another interesting thing. Because, um, again, from her perspective, blah, 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 of course she wants to make herself look good, but, like, during her time on The Bachelorette, like, she was talking about how, like, she you know was like really open to finding a relationship with one of these men and obviously she did get engaged to and then marry the guy who she ended up with on the show but how like I guess the fan favorite from that season who was like her runner-up she like asked him like are are you actually like do you actually want to marry me and he was kind of wishy-washy about it and then was like asking her questions about like, well, if I'm the next bachelor, like how much money do you think they'll pay me? And like all of these ha- had been like asking questions about like your public appearances that they would make if they got together at the end of the series and all of this stuff that made her like, left her with like a really bad taste in her mouth. That, like, Oh, like he wants fame and that's not what I want. Like I want a partner and then I have a life I want to go back to. Yeah. And that that was like very off-putting to her and that it was very annoying to her when the show was airing to see that like due to the edit it makes it seem like that was not the way the relationship was at all
1: yeah i remember this and i remember having a pretty positive impression of peter um, due to the edit But reading the book now, I'm like, yeah, that tracks. That makes sense to me. I feel like she's not like skewering him, in my opinion. I think the point that she's making is that this is someone who just is not ready for marriage. He's not really looking for marriage and commitment the way that I am. He's sort of here he's kind of along for the ride he's sort of like oh well we'll see what happens and then he's sort of interested in being the bachelor in the same way like oh maybe that sounds good and not again Mm. like proving that he's not really committed to rachel and their journey because or at least not as not more than he's committed to like yeah like we'll see what the next horizon brings
0: here, for the wrong reasons, one might say, <laughs>
1: <laughs> or just like not explicitly here for the right ones, yeah guys i ha- I have to
2: check back in on waboom because this article is irresponsible headline journalism because the headline that I read said that he admits to saying waboom during sex, but then I scroll down in the interview, and it's actually
0: even worse, oh God.
1: Doesn't he say that, like, if somebody paid him that he would yes, say waboom during that's what sex? it says. So, like, the headline says, admits to
2: saying waboom, and he says, if someone paid him to say waboom while being intimate with him, that would be fine. I don't think any girl would want to hear that, correct, and or be turned on by that. It's possible. It's a crazy world. I'm not saying I'd never do it, just that I've never done it.
1: Apparently, you know, I was looking up how to use waboom in a sentence, and is the <laughs> quote. It's a lifestyle. It's an essence. It's a noun. It's a verb. It's an adverb. You can waboom. You can be waboomed, and you can waboom. You can call somebody a waboom. So that doesn't clear it up at all. No.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. it, bas- there's a still photo of him. And he appears to be juggling, and Rachel is looking at him with the most, like, unimpressed face, <laughs> which seems appropriate. Although juggling is more impressive to me than saying,
0: "waboom."
1: That is true.
0: Sorry, now I have to open this article so that I can see oh, this, this picture. Oh, this was on night
1: one, this picture. Because wow. there's um. another picture on a different article that has him stepping out of the limo. And wow. I believe that his shirt... Is like a picture of himself that says Waboom
0: on it. Does his shirt say Waboom on it? Wow. Okay. That's a choice. He's limited to the brand.
2: I'm surprised he hasn't come out with a book called Waboom. Called (laughs) Wabook. Um, all right, that's probably enough about the Waboom guy because there's literally only one sentence of him and she doesn't list him by name and she won't repeat Waboom <laughs> in the book. I just... Because she wouldn't say what the catchphrase was, I wanted to know, and then that raised a few further questions.
1: Okay, but I have to say... You know, I really like Rachel, and I think she's very smart, and she says a lot of good things in this book, but she is 100% wrong about Alexis's shark outfit from Nick's Bachelor season. That shark outfit is awesome. I did look that up because she described,
2: uh, she mentioned something about the shark costume as well, and I was like, oh. And then I click through, and she... Rachel is wrong that it's a bad look because she looks very cute in it. Alexis was wrong to say it's a dolphin costume. Yes. Because it's definitely a shark. Yes. And this is very funny to me. First of all, I guess when you go on The Bachelor, you fill out a profile and one of the questions is favorite animal, which is funny to me to ask of adults. But then (laughs) I guess six of them said dolphin which is a high percentage of dolphin answers
0: well you have to think that they're those women are in our demographic of wanting to be a you know lisa franklin biologist
2: i was just gonna say they all have psychic connections to dolphins (laughs) and uh, and so she said because of that she wore this dolphin costume but it is very clearly a shark costume yeah, and that's but it's a cute shark costume it's funny you know in the colton season we, there was that woman who dressed like a sloth and so just a, in every season does someone go with big animal suit or have we stumbled on like two anomalies
1: um i think it's common i mean on michelle's season oh i forgot there's been a third black bachelorette michelle was the third one Michelle's season, some guy came out at the limo and he was wearing an enormous apple suit, like okay. an apple, like a fruit that you eat. Okay. What yeah. was the gimmick there? Uh, well, she was a teacher. She's an elementary school teacher. Ah, uh, sure. Yeah. So like apple for the teacher. Are okay. Okay. I mean, it's memorable. You know, I, I would be into that. If I were the bachelorette, um, I anyone who's like, oh, what a silly thing to do. I'm like, oh, you're not a fun time. Like, no, thank you.
0: So I haven't seen a picture of the Apple costume, but I think I've talked before on here about how when I was working at the bookstore, I... Frequently dressed up as the animals or the characters for character story times. And the most comfortable costume was Clifford because it was basically just this giant plush fat suit sweatsuit, like covered in red fur and it was so you were just like basically walking around with like a huge pillow around your stomach and arms so like anytime you sat down it was like I was like this is actually deeply comfortable (laughs) like Uh. I love it this is great uh and if the apple was plush like that like man like I'm thinking like I would love to be in a giant (laughs) plush apple costume just like roll out of my back and be like essentially walking around with a giant pillow around me like yeah. It
1: was actually not particularly plush. I just looked it up. It was like one of the really flimsy ones where Ugh. it's just very thin fabric on each side. No, so you gotta get yourself that costume know, rental quality
0: Clifford Apple suit.
1: I mean, you know if i were the bachelorette i would make it a requirement everyone has (laughs) to come in like a plush costume i you know because you know after that everyone's going to be wearing the same identical tux so you know this is much more interesting
2: yes yeah you would have the first all furry bachelor season
1: (laughs) (laughs) i wouldn't be mad about it i mean that would be fine
2: (laughs) pajama party yes Yeah, fun. Okay, if you... Okay, what would be your gimmick if you were trying to impress a suitor of, you know, like, if what would be, like, your first impression
1: look that you would go with? Oh, I mean... Okay, so this is assuming we don't know who it is, so it can't be based on, like, their personality or whatever.
0: Um, Oh, yeah. All right, I got mine. If it's... If, you know, I would clearly wear a Halloween dress probably the gray one that I have with the full circle skirt and the buttons down the front because you could put a petticoat under that and I would want (laughs) to be extremely extra and I'd probably spring for some like really cute shoes with like a Halloween theme from like an artisan. I would just like lean very big into my spooky aesthetic because Mm. I, I think thinking about it pragmatically from the standpoint of like being on one of these shows, like everybody's got to have like a thing and that's already kind of like my thing mentally. <laughs> with mm-hmm. everyone. So For I might sure. as well just lean into it. And also like I own enough spooky clothes that I wouldn't have to worry about like I, you would remember me week to week because it would be like, ah, oh, yes, she's wearing yet another spooky dress. Mm. You know, that's another dress with like, skeletons with bows in their skulls and flower eyes. That's the third one so far. What's wrong with this girl? They people watching would probably get sick of it, but as <laughs> I'm sure you well, I guess you wouldn't know Renata. <laughs> or or Rebecca, you're married, you wouldn't know either. Um, you know, you go through the okay Cupid, uh queer ladies in this greater Boston area. A lot of them are into the spooky aesthetic, so I do think it would <laughs> also give me a leg up.
1: Yes. I probably would bring some sort of food that you could share easily and neatly mm. because they don't really encourage you to eat. They just encourage you to drink alcohol on the first night. Oh, yeah, so that's a good one. I, maybe I would bring like, now you have to be careful about this because on the current season that's currently airing, there's a dude who came with like a a twelve foot long meatball sub and he says that his name is Meatball and his whole thing is meatballs and he actually at one point has like drenched himself in marinara sauce and it's very upsetting. Oh my (laughs) gosh. Something easy to eat and that is not gonna mess with anything. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a good one. Food food is a good way to to make
1: friends. (laughs) maybe yeah. i'd be like are you a sweet or a savory kind of person and then like Ooh. you could have both with me ha 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 yeah
2: that's pretty good yeah what about you yeah like i would want to i would want like a cat suit i guess and like <laughs> in a not like a not like a sexy catwoman suit but more like you know a, like the big plush sloth suit but a cat
1: oh there uh, one guy did this i'm gonna look him up and find him for you yeah i mean it's it's
2: such a like you know low-hanging fruit but it would be easy and that is like definitely my aesthetic is just like wanting to be a cat and in a i would love to have it be you know like a gray cat suit and then i also bring duarte and like a carrier but he would hate it (laughs) so he would he would rather stay home i'm you know i would rather stay home too actually so i guess if i have if i have to go to the bachelor also Dwarje has to come and i'll i'll go see the staff psychiatrist and get him designated a service animal you know an emotional support animal
1: i'm gonna find i'm gonna put this link in the doc where shall I put it? I'll put it underneath the webhoom guy. There you go. Catman. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Connor the Catman. Yeah. Why was he eliminated?
2: Yeah, why? Well, because,
1: I mean, he was nice. I think he lasted a couple of weeks, but he, um
0: you know, he just, no real chemistry there. I mean, if you were to bring, not to bump from Connor the Catman, but if you were to bring Duarte, you could have like a very copper moment like uh, exactly Rachel had with her suitors where, you know, Duarte turns around, flashes that butthole at your potential. <laughs> and then, you know, you know that Duarte's ready.
2: Oh, this is cute. And he brought cat ears for her, too. That's a good move. I would also bring cat ears for sure. Um, I bring cat ears for everybody. Yeah, so one yeah, one thing we didn't talk about is before the show, Rachel adopted a rescue dog named Copper, and she talked about this actually really for obvious reasons was very emotionally affecting to me. When she was a kid, she had a, a Russian blue cat named Smokey that she loved. Obviously, of course, you would love your cat, but um, Smokey got out and was killed, and um, after that, she was so you know traumatized that she didn't have another pet again for a long time until she was an adult and then it was copper and she loved her dog copper so much and then she was also the first contestant to like bring their dog on the show because for one of the dates she um introduced the remaining guys to the dog to see how they got along with the dog and um they We haven't talked. We have talked like one second about the man she married, which is Brian. Uh, She doesn't talk a ton about him in here. My notes say Brian seems nice, uh, but the dog liked Brian.
1: Yeah. And the dog was very medium, very neutral on Peter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I, I get the feeling too, that like she, she doesn't talk about Brian a lot on purpose. Like she talks about like, you know, because she goes through with like the top three or four guys, she goes through like what it was like spending time with them and her feelings for them and like why ultimately she decided that like they weren't the right person for her. Like there was another guy who she really liked, but like he hadn't been in a long term relationship like ever before. And Mm -hmm. she didn't feel like he was ready to be married, even though like she really liked him and she really liked his family. And then we were talking about Peter who seemed like his priorities were not in sync with hers. And, you know, she just like the way she talks about Brian is that it feels like, like all of their stuff synced up and that, you know, they wanted the same things out of life and that like they, you know, she thought he was like a really good guy and he was really nice Mm -hmm. and she had strong feelings for him. And then like, a producer who she knew from when she was on the bachelor was like, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to tell you anything about him, but like, he's like the nicest guy in the house. And mm-hmm. like that held a lot of weight with her. But it, it also like, I kind of get the feeling that also it's kind of like a, well, like our private life is private. Like we fell in oh, love yeah. on national television, but like, I don't want to talk too much about like our relationship because it's special Um, because even earlier in the book she'll like just refer like to my husband my husband like she doesn't even call him by name which you know yeah i think that
1: she spends maybe more time on the other guys because a lot of the men who are in this book she is talking about them because she's talking about these are the lessons that i learned from this relationship and now she can take all these lessons learned and, uh, you know, use them to find the right guy for her. One thing that I really liked about, um, about her talking about Brian was, you know, she talked about how lucky she feels to have met him on The Bachelor- Bachelorette specifically because they have their entire love story chronicled. And yeah, they and so she can, you know, how many people can go back and watch a tape of them meeting their significant other. And she actually said that she revisits that like once a month. And I have to imagine, you know, she doesn't watch the whole season, but yeah, like, right. cute clips. And I'm like, Oh, that's sweet. That is
0: sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's something I was glad to hear her say that. because It's something that I always think about on shows like this. Because I am, like, a very sentimental person who likes to get everything, who's, like, constantly, like, I'm constantly, like, taking pictures and shit of things that I do, even though I never post them anywhere anymore. I just realized, looking at my fucking Instagram grid, I never even posted pictures from Iceland. But I like to have them because I want to revisit those memories. So I've always wondered if, like, the people on the shows feel the same way, where it's, like, oh, like, everyone got to watch us fall in love, and now we have a record of it forever.
1: I mean, I have to imagine that many of them do like I actually was recently watching video some home videos that I haven't seen in like 20 years. And it was a deeply emotional experience for me and made Mm -hmm. me really appreciate, you know, I don't take a lot of pictures and videos of my life. um, And it made me want to do more of that, actually, because I want to be able to look back on that.
0: Well, I ignore yeah. it even if you don't post them anywhere and they just sit on your phone forever. Yeah, it's yeah, got Good him. to have, yes. And it's nice. Like I'm, I'm so bad at this. Like we will. My roommate, one of my roommates, was making fun of me. Actually, no, we're not. It was you. It wasn't Kale. <laughs> Where, uh, it was like because renato was looking at pictures of Duarte yesterday i was like oh like look at him like a year ago like look at him—he's just a little guy and i kind of good-naturedly laughed and she's like you do exactly the same thing about max my nephew and i was <laughs> like yeah like literally i was in a restaurant with max's mom friend of the show sarah and a couple of our other friends and she was like looking for something Specific that he did a couple years ago, and then I started doing it. And then the two of us were sitting there on our phones looking at like old pictures of Max, like old pictures of all of us together. Like, oh, like, look, this was 10 years ago when we first became friends. You know, this was like two years ago when Max was just a baby, and even just like sitting at a table with my friends who were there 10 years ago when we took that picture. Like, it's just like, oh, look, and now we're still friends, and we're still here. Who would have thought 10 years ago that we'd be sitting in this diner eating breakfast together 10 years later? Yeah, totally. Anyway, I guess that's my endorsement for friendship. And also (laughs) photographs. Whoa, hot take, spicy.
2: One thing that she does say about Brian that I guess maybe would be sort of surprising if you watch the show Uh, brian is a chiropractor i guess and one thing that she says is that it you know it's nice that she's a little bit older for a contestant in the show and he was even older than her and like i think she was 31 and he was like 36 or something so but a lot of them are in their 20s and they were sort of just enough older that they were a little more like established which is nice but then she said that because she had a secret cell phone on the show like she knew even though they didn't think she knew she knew about the insurance fraud case against brian's chiropractic firm which then she doesn't really say what that is because i guess if you watch the show it was probably pretty like shocking i don't know it sounded like they maybe sort of set that up as like a gotcha reveal
1: yeah i don't remember i mean i know (laughs) what i remember vaguely is that you know, the show tried to spin like, oh, like, is the family going to like the guy? Because they always have to have some uncertainty as to who she's going to pick and whoever the one she's going to pick is going to be. There always has to be like, oh, somebody's got doubts with him. Somebody in the family doesn't like him. But I really don't remember the specifics of the okay.
2: lawsuit. Well, it seems like it all worked out.
1: Yes. I mean, they are they are married now. Mm-hmm.
0: And she like goes on to say like the, the case was like dismissed, but like dismissed in such a matter that I can't remember what the exact legal term is. I
1: think it was like dismissed with prejudice or something like that, which is that, you know, not only is, are, is this a silly case, but like it was a mistake even to have brought it and you can't bring it again. This is nonsense something like that those are not legal terms (laughs) yes but that was yeah
0: like that's the gist of it and like because her father's also a lawyer like he understands what those words mean too yes but yeah it was it was interesting it was you know it's always it is it is always interesting to think about how staged some of this is oh
1: totally i mean some couples have gotten like very publicly angry with the franchise with about the spin that they've put on, on their stories. I know that happened with um, Michelle and Nate, that they were very upset about how they decided to characterize Nate. And I think to a certain extent, also Jojo and the football player whose name I don't remember.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, cause it's, I'm glad that, like, she found love and she seems to be happy. But also, like, she's very clear, like, they're, they're behind the scenes telling you, no, I don't care if you don't like this person. Like, he can't go home yet. Like, yeah. You have to keep him. You have to keep this person. You have to go on a date with this person today. Like, you have to do this. These two people have to go on the same outing. And, you know, it, it like, obviously, the whole thing, like, is puppeted from behind the scenes like no tomorrow anyway but it is like to hear like these firsthand accounts of like yeah like and then I said I don't like this guy and I think he should go and they said no you can't keep him you have to keep him for another three weeks like is just it's so it, interesting I don't know
1: yeah I mean that's that's just how the show works and it is upsetting Especially since they were doing that with Lee the giant racist, yeah,, yeah, but it is sweet to hear her talk like, she doesn't talk a lot
2: about Brian, but even just talk about like the final ones and how like getting to travel to Europe with them, and like how it really was like as romantic and just you know that being able to have these new experiences with these men, like even if she knew she didn't want to marry them, like it. It give her a, it gave her a chance to see them in a new light and like you know talking about brian being willing to do some kind of like base jumping thing with her even though he was scared and she was scared too like it does seem like there are some like real genuine moments of sweetness as well oh totally
1: yeah and that's what you hope for i also thought it was funny that she was she said um yeah, they do whatever the rappelling or base jumping or whatever it is. And then she did it again for some charity thing and he was like, "Yeah, no, thank you."
2: <laughs> yeah, she was like he already got the girl so he didn't want to yeah. do it again. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> we we kind of like went past her her stint on The Bachelor. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that she talks about which is another like fascinating behind the scenes thing to me is that she was on the bachelor they were they were filming her season of the bachelor during the 2016 election and the contestants on the bachelor don't have access to television or internet or anything until the fantasy suite weekend and because there's nothing to do when it's not your turn like with the dude so despite like not being being completely cut off from like the election for like however many months she had access to a television the night of the election and saw the results came come in, but couldn't talk to anyone about them or like, she couldn't call anyone. She couldn't do anything. She was like stuck in this hotel room, like having to live with these like horrifying results and not being able to do anything about it. And then they also wouldn't let her talk to him about it the next day when it was her like big fantasy suite date night with him. Um, They weren't allowed to talk about it while the cameras were rolling and she was just, like, so upset that it's all she wanted to talk about, which I'm sure we all can relate to and remember, uh-huh. you know, from when that happened. And, you know, she said that once the once the camera stopped rolling and they went into the fantasy suite, like, they did, you know, have a discussion about it. But, like, man, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what that must yeah. have felt like. Yeah,
1: yeah. And she she also talks about basically how – you know, that date was, you know, she sort of thinks about obviously everything worked out in the end because now she's married to this wonderful person, but she, she did talk about how that date she thinks about how it might've been different if she hadn't been reeling from this experience. And she also, I thought it was an interesting connection that she made, or at least I made it in my head while I was reading She also talked about being in law school in, um, where was she? In 2008, yeah. Yeah. Um, She was at
2: Marquette in um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin.
1: Yes, yes. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, when Obama was elected the first time, and how she felt so much emotion around that, but she was in this room, I forget where she was, But she, you know, that was mostly white people. And she felt extremely isolated, even in that moment when she was with a bunch of other people. So I I thought it was interesting that both of these enormously consequential elections, she was basically alone. Yes. Yeah. Oh,
2: one thing I guess we haven't explicitly said, and if you didn't watch the show, you don't know. Um, Brian, what's his last name? Absolo? something
1: like that uh, i should man- I, I should be a better bachelor expert That's i'm sorry right. solo Ab- uh he
2: he's um latino and so she got some kind of like some flack for like not marrying a black man but like she did talk about how at least with him being a person of color like they could bond on some things um that you know that on the show as well as in life like they definitely had some commonalities versus being surrounded by white people for the obama election made her feel very alienated even though they were happy like they were mostly sort of like white liberals and they were happy obama was elected but she knew they didn't really get it the way that she got it
1: so. yeah man i remember when obama was elected the first time that just felt like hope yeah. Uh, uh put that on a poster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was at college and there were like parades in the street about it. it everyone was so excited. Yeah.
2: Oh boy. I was in the peace corps and it was it was funny cuz Dominicans were really excited just cuz you know they, they were like oh a, a person of color winning we love to see it basically. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, yeah, totally. Okay so then I think arguably the last bit of the book is the most interesting to me um as a person who doesn't watch the bachelor but the last part of the book is when she specifically goes even harder on talking about racial justice and especially talking about like George Floyd and the summer of 2020 and like all these protests and specifically about s- how some members of Bachelor Nation were not reacting in the way that she would hope in a way that to me i didn't really
1: know who these people were and i was like oh interesting i mean it was big deal stuff actually like she talks about how she had this really intense uh discussion on her podcast with becca kufrin who was also you know a former contestant on the bachelor and then became a bachelorette uh, because Becca's fiance, Garrett, had like liked some really gross, uh, you know, Blue Lives Matter and um, yeah. homophobic, just like really gross stuff on yeah. Instagram and that sort of thing. And I have not listened to this podcast episode, but, um, you know, they had this very intense discussion about it. And in the book, Rachel said that it's one of the most downloaded podcast episodes of the podcast, apparently and Becca actually broke up with Garrett um very shortly thereafter so it was a a conversation that had consequence
0: yeah Yeah. sorry I was just looking up because I was like I think and I was correct Becca was the bachelorette that my friend's brother was like the third runner-up I liked her.
1: Um, Her story is also very dramatic because um, when she was on The Bachelor, she actually was Ari's pick. And then he broke up with her um, because he wanted to go be with the other person instead and brought cameras to break up with her at one of their happy couple secret visits cool. cool. And yeah, yeah, not fun. And then she goes through this thing, breaks up with her fiance, and actually right now she actually went on Bachelor in Paradise last year and she's engaged and buying a house with the guy that she uh, she met there. So that's kind of nice. <laughs> okay. Fingers crossed he's not racist. No, he's I I forget he's a person of color. I don't forget exactly. Oh, great. I mean, I forget exactly yeah thomas jacobs let's go google stalk him ha 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 <laughs> he's very tall that's like a thing that people know about him
2: yeah i th- i think she did a, a pretty tasteful job overall like you know giving some details that are good to know but then um she says quote your curiosity does not trump my integrity which is very classy But a little disappointing when you're reading the
1: book. (laughs) Of course. You know, I was really impressed by this section of the book, the post-bachelorette section, because, um, well, I guess it also shows in the entirety of the book. But it's clear that she really takes her platform seriously as yeah. a, um, a media personality and as a prominent Black woman in the United States. And she, you know, tries to do good with that. She gets involved with, you know, issues of race and class and discrimination in this country. And, you know, it's good. Uh, you know, the, the quote that you read at the beginning, Renata, um, speaks mm-hmm. to that. And... I think she's doing good things.
0: Yeah. yeah. There's a second part of the quote that we I guess not second part, but like later on in that same quote that Renata read, like a paragraph later, one of the things that I thought was really a really meaningful distinction too, that she says is that she, you know, using playing this role to like help educate people who follow her, who might not, you know, be interested in racial issues or know anything about them and how she uses her voice to point them towards activists because she's not an activist. Like people who are activists, like put, dedicate their life to this and that she's not doing that, but that she respects that. And she wants the people who, you know, follow her, if they're interested in these topics to follow those people instead and learn from them which I am explaining it very poorly, um, but it was it was a very interesting quote, and I liked well, it.
1: You know, yeah. I mean, you can't do everything. Yeah, uh, and I think that's something that a lot of people in this country would really do well to like <laughs> take notice of, because I think that. You know, when there's a lot of shit going down, you can feel really helpless and like, oh my gosh, like, I have to pay attention to everything because everything is terrible. And, you know, what she's saying is, look, I'm trying to make a difference in my way and there are other people making differences in their way and together we can all make differences together.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And like, one of the things she said, like, I really, uh, again with the um expectations of this being a bachelor book like it was way more um in depth about racial justice than expected from a bachelor book if you're somebody who has read a lot and like followed a lot of like black activists it's not necessarily the most groundbreaking content in that sense but again if you're somebody who hasn't read all those books it's like a really good kind of primer and it puts this like personal touch on especially if this is a woman that like you did watch on tv and feel attached to yeah like for example she's saying like i really recommend people read white fragility which is a book that i haven't read because because i was reading books written by black people and like a lot of you know activists who i follow were like white fragility is sort of like training wheels and like i think white people should be reading other books that like are black by black people and i was like well that makes sense to me and like whatever but you know you got to start somewhere and so i think white fragility probably is a good book for like people who haven't read those other books yet or whatever and and i I, you know that's right i I think that people who are more intensely involved with like black lives matter issues like might read this and be like well yeah like i know and i think this book you know it's not necessarily like for that that's not the kind of book that it is and i think that like this is great for the kind of book that it is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I totally agree. I was thinking about this, like who is the intended audience here? And I fully believe that Rachel, if she wanted to, could write a book aimed at a, you know, a very black audience or a much more, you know, socially aware audience. But I think this book is aimed at uh, people who watch the bachelor franchise who like her. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like valuable.
2: Yeah. And, yeah, like like Kate was saying and like Rachel Lindsay was saying like every there's there's a role for everybody to play in trying to make the world better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's a good, you know, the, and the last thing she does in the book really is like she's like here is how the bachelor as a franchise could make the their shows more welcoming to people of color and like just like goes down a list and like it which is just like
2: it was yeah she has given them like a free action plan that they exactly and should use
0: you know you you would pay much more to hire a dei consultant who would probably tell you very similar things
2: yeah, you know, things like you need more black contestants and you need more people of color behind the scenes and you need like a a black sensitivity consultant on the show to like help contestants be more comfortable day to day. And like you need to, you know, yeah. And that all sounds like great advice to me. So I hope they do it. I mean, you know, they're not going to do it. Yeah, well. <laughs> all right um should we move on to dramatic readings yeah anything else
0: all right i'm gonna read a little bit about the abstinence poster just because it's funny and sad so this chapter is called the sexual miseducation of rachel Lindsay," and it opens with a bell hooks quote which just like this book kind of slaps guys <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the bell hooks quote it opens with is uh, women will only be truly sexually liberated when we arrive at a place where we can see ourselves as having sexual value and agency, irrespective of whether or not we were the objects of male desire. And then she opens this chapter with my sexual education took under a minute. 14 year old Rachel was sitting in her bedroom chatting on the phone with a friend when mom entered the room. She carried a large white piece of paper, a piece of tape already affixed in each corner. She pressed the 11 by 4 sheet against my wall, slapped each corner, one, two, three, four, then walked out of the room. No words were spoken. In all caps and bold print at the top was one word, abstinence. All through high school, that poster hung by the light switch where I saw it every time I left my room. When friends visit it, they would point at it and laugh. What is this? And when I left for college, the poster made its way downstairs to Heather's room. I never bothered to read the smaller print. I already knew what it said. Believe. (laughs) I I was actually, even though she said it was at the top... I was imagining it as more of, like, those leadership posters with, like, the black background, the picture in the middle, and then a big word in all caps on the bottom. It's yeah. so like an eagle flying through the sky and then abstinence.
1: <laughs> <sighs>
0: all right.
2: Uh, I'm going to read a little bit about Rachel's pets. because, Well, singular pet, because pets are so important.
1: I'm so glad you are, because we didn't talk enough about
2: Copper the dog. Yeah, Copper seems like a really good boy. Um, Okay, so, in the Bachelor franchise, hometown dates are when the lead travels to the hometown to the final contestants and vice versa to meet their friends and families and to imagine what their life together might be like after the show. Just like the rest of my family, Copper was around when we were filming the hometown visits. Although they had met before, when I brought Peter home, Copper behaved as if he didn't know him. He had nothing for Peter. Absolutely nothing. Meanwhile, Copper's first meeting with Brian was very different. Brian came into the den and sat down next to me. At one point, Copper came into the room and sat at Brian's feet. Not my feet, Brian's feet, even though he had never met him before. I later told Brian that was validation for me. I had come to understand that Copper's desire to protect me included emotional support as well as physical safety. In fact, there's considerable scientific research on the healing effect of pets, and now I understand how copper boosted my mental health and even smoky RIP. At a time when I felt emotionally unmoored, his presence gave me what psychologists call ontological security, the ability to manage and be engaged in everyday life. When a person has ontological security, they feel a sense of order and continuity in their life rooted in a positive view of themselves. Simply put, they manage their lives better because the meaning they give to their lives comes from within. Yeah, thanks, Dorte. <laughs> Man, uh, that really
1: does make me want a dog. <laughs> yeah, you should go on. Oh, uh, if only I lived in a place that would allow them. Okay, uh, trash. But, yeah, someday. Okay, um, I am going to read about. The Benefits of Therapy. Uh, This is a section that starts with a quote by Taraji P. Henson, who says, I was always apprehensive of the term strong black woman because it dehumanizes us and makes it seem like we don't hurt. And then Rachel says, You ever find yourself perpetuating a, quote, positive, unquote, stereotype about your community? While there are some negative assumptions that have you side-eyeing someone or shooting an email to HR, there are others that are a source of pride or at least make for a good joke. When you belong to a marginalized group that must fight against a registry of offensive and harmful generalizations, sometimes you cling to that rare stereotype that inherently endows you with some spectacular trait— and gives you an edge over others. Who doesn't want other people to presume that we are preternaturally attractive, industrious, or otherwise gifted in some way? You sit with your folks and laugh about, because you know how we are and how we do. Black women can count on one hand the so-called positive stereotypes circulating about us, and at the top of the list is that of the, quote, strong black woman, unquote. On the surface, it seems like an empowering archetype to embrace, especially when you compare it to the others imposed upon us, like the sexually insatiable Jezebel or the blissfully domestic Mammy. As we move through a world where noir lurks at every corner, of course we want to project images of ourselves as resilient, independent, and most of all, unbothered. Not me. Not anymore. I'm with Taraji. Miss me with all of the stereotypes, especially the myth of the strong Black woman, which I lived up to for years, until I went into therapy to impress a man. It's okay. You can laugh. Girl, I look back at that time and laugh at myself. The reason I can laugh at the the foolishness that got me on that couch is because I needed it, and it worked. Knowing what it has done for me, I am now a strong champion of therapeutic services for everyone but especially the black community where experiencing mental illness still carries a dangerous stigma. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So yeah, pretty good book, honestly. Um, But let's move on to Reader's Advisory, where we will suggest some stuff to read instead of, or in addition to Miss Me With That by Rachel Lindsay, which again, I mean, I think, I, I guess I would say if you haven't read The bad. If you haven't watched The Bachelor, I wouldn't necessarily say, like, drop everything and go out and read this. But if you are a fan of The Bachelor, I think you would
0: probably really like this. And it's pretty good. Yeah. Um. So the book that I recommended, in addition to this, which I've recommended on this podcast before, and Rebecca pointed out that she recommended the last time she was on this podcast, is uh, The Charm Offensive by Alison Cochran, which is a romance novel where uh, a contestant on a bachelor-esque television show and his per- personal producer on that show uh fall in love and they have to keep it a secret but then there's drama and but it's okay in the end and it's a good book i'm describing it very poorly but you you should read it because it's good it's very hot i'm very hot we're recording this yeah, we- in august and it's it's hot yeah, I
2: would like to go jump into the Bachelor Mansion's swimming pool, but instead I will sit here and recommend to you uh, Admissions by Kendra James, which is a somewhat recent memoir written by Kendra James, who's a black woman who went to a majority white boarding school, and it's, uh, you know, it, it's similar in the way that she talks about, like, various microaggressions experience, but but it's about boarding school instead of so The Bachelor and it's pretty good
1: check it out mm. okay i've got two picks and my first one is patricia wants to cuddle by samantha allen and this is i actually haven't read it yet but if you're into uh, bachelor and bachelor spinoffs this is sort of the latest one of those which is kind of a bachelor slash horror book um, uh-huh. in that there uh, is, you know, a cast of women competing for a suitor, and they're filming in the wilderness, and then maybe they come across signs of Bigfoot. And I understand that many people die. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, queer. Yes. So, um, I haven't read it yet, so I can't say, oh, it's amazing, but it is the latest that I'm aware of of bachelor stuff, and it seems very weird. <laughs> yeah that's
2: one i read about and i like tagged kate in it somewhere because i was just like yeah that sounds like a
0: kate book yes i'm sure i put it on a list somewhere and then put it down and never looked at it again but i did just open up uh the book to look at where i can put a hold on it hell yeah the answer is Minuteman. (laughs) all right
2: and rebecca what's your other choice
1: if you want to read interesting books by interesting black people I will recommend The Final Revival of Opal and Nev by Donnie Walton. And if you read and enjoyed uh, Daisy Jones and the Six a couple years ago, mm. then this one is definitely one to pick up. It is about um Opal and Nev. They were these two musicians who kind of rose to fame through their collaborations opal is a black woman and ev is a white uh british dude and then there's this catastrophic um concert that but turns into a riot and everything kind of shatters and then many years later uh they are planning potentially a reunion tour and uh there's somebody who's writing a book about the whole thing and stuff starts to come up and there are questions about fame and black people in the spotlight and what that looks like and what does it mean to you know be a like culpability and and taking responsibility and how to be a good person as a public person really good I enjoyed it yeah that does sound good
2: yeah yeah something slightly different perhaps you might like to read books by rebecca kim wells such as briar girls or shatter the sky if you want why a fantasy romance that isn't very much like the bachelor at all but maybe you don't want it the
1: bachelor maybe yeah i that. feel like the only the only through line there is that there is romance
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and i think rachel Lindsay should be allowed to have a dragon. Oh. Yeah. I, I think she uh, should get one. Fair point. Okay. I'll allow it. If if Copper's okay with it. Yeah. Alright. Well, we'll have these and um, some others up on our website, worstbestsellers.com and we'll move on now to The Rock Paper Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Rebecca can choose which most enhances it, or she can use paper, which is to leave it as is.
0: So we didn't actually end up talking very much about what Rachel did after The Bachelor, but uh, she went back to doing attorney stuff for a few years while also doing some like sports commentary stuff, uh, including a job that she had at ESPN. And that's a necessary background for my rock, paper, snicked, which is that uh, if Dwayne the Rock Johnson were in this book, he would be like a guest commentator alongside Rachel for a sporting event for one of her ESPN gigs, and they would get along really well and become friends.
2: Similarly, if Wolverine were in this book, I think he and Rachel would be sitting next to each other at, at a sports event. And honestly, I think they would just sort of sit and quietly enjoy the game, um, maybe drink a beer uh, at the end of the evening, they would part ways, uh, not really affected, but Wolverine would have had a pleasant night out and and he wouldn't have said anything racist to Rachel. So,
1: I feel like I have to go with The Rock on this one um, because wolverine's involvement in this just sort of leaves it exactly the same whereas Mm -hmm. the rock's involvement in this uh brightens everyone's experience just a little bit yeah yeah Yeah, the rock will do that for sure but i'm i'm uh very uh happy that you both selected sporting event (laughs) uh, items (laughs) Yeah,
2: I mean, that that seems like the clearest possible intersection, because Wolverine would not go on The Bachelor. (laughs) Well,
1: okay, but maybe he would have just randomly been in one of the cities that they all went to on their big trip, and then he could have, like, quote-unquote, accidentally stabbed Lee. That would have been nice. um, (laughs) You know
0: what? I I think that one is actually maybe the best. That's the best,
2: yeah. I would okay. vote for that. Well, luckily we live in a world we live in a multiverse. So in another <laughs> universe that's what happened.
0: Yeah. Yes. Um
2: but good game. Now it is time for Day's corner where my cat Day shares his opinions. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Dorothy. It was really sad when her childhood cat died, and I know she didn't talk about it very much, but it was it was really upsetting, and I'm sorry that you had to read that. Uh, and, of course, it is sort of rude of her to have a dog and not a cat, but, you know, some people, you know, people who like sports especially, I think, like, need a dog to help them with their sports.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I think you're right, and, you know, like, she still, like, obviously she loved that cat, so who knows? Maybe one day in the future there'll be another cat yeah yeah the
2: main thing is she understands how important and useful pets of all kinds are and that's that's good and you should just take that to heart duarte i agree all right well duarte thank you do any humans have any closing thoughts
1: that's
0: a good book <laughs> Yes,
1: I agree. It exceeded my medium expectations. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
2: Well, if you have thoughts about the Bachelor franchise um, or sports, I don't know, uh, you can come talk to us as a podcast online. We're on Facebook and Instagram at worst bestsellers spelled normally. And we're on Twitter at worst bestseller with no S because the producers made us get rid of the S even though we wanted to keep it for the final four. Ugh. Uh, We also have a Goodreads group that's best accessed by going to worstbestsellers.com.
0: You can find us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, all of the places that you get podcasts from. And if you do find us, please take a moment to rate and review. Uh, When you rate and review, it moves us up on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. Uh, If you don't rate and review, then we definitely won't be giving you a rose for coming back next time. So you'll have to live with that. Oh, no. we, we also have a Patreon available at patreon.com slash worst bestsellers. Patreon is a service where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like pay for our web hosting and upgrade our equipment. And in return, there are perks for you like a newsletter and postcards and stickers in the mail. Uh, We also have a merch available, which is best accessed by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on merch, where you will find all sorts of uh, things from our podcast to wear on your body. And finally, we do have a Discord group for fans of the show to talk about basically whatever they want. Uh, That link is also available on worstbestsellers.com. And uh, feel free to join us to chat about this episode or you know, post pictures of your pets or whatever hell yeah uh, speaking of pictures
2: of your pets if you want to follow me personally i'm on twitter and instagram at renata snacks
0: uh, if you want to find follow me personally on social media i'm here and there but i'm at 14 across i don't want to talk about sports though
1: <laughs>
0: and um, uh, rebecca where can people find you and your work aside from their local indie bookstore
1: Yes, I am not often on social media these days, but I do have profiles, which you can follow on uh, Twitter or Instagram at Rebecca Writing, And my website is Wellswrights.com. Hooray! So my most recent book is Briar Girls. It's a queer fairy tale mashup very dark and there are dragons and morally ambiguous situations also three trade reviews called it sex positive <laughs> so that's nice um it's out now and it's going to come out in paperback in November uh so that's coming up and then next year next fall 2023 uh, there's going to be a YA Halloween horror anthology called Night of the Living Queers, and it has all queer by POC contributors, and I have a short story in
0: that. Hooray! Oh my gosh, that book
2: came from Kate's vision board. It did
0: come from my vision board. We did actually we actually talked this. about that. <laughs> Incredible. Yes.
1: Yeah, um, I'm very excited about it. I've never written horror before. Ooh, spooky.
2: Well, great. That all sounds good. I've I've read your previous three books. I haven't read the upcoming one, and I might not if it's too scary. I don't know. But, I'll uh, read it yeah, and let you know. <laughs> thank you. Uh, you can and should find those at your local bookstore. And uh, we in two weeks will be back with another reality television book that I have a sinking suspicion will be less good than this one, but it is How to Be a Boss Bitch by Christine Quinn. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Uh, Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.
2: Do you have any... We can delete this if not. Do you have any upcoming books that you want to talk about? Or what's your... Did you just want to talk about Rachel Lindsay?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Rachel Lindsay is great.